You're listening to Conversations with John Anderson, featuring Dennis Prager. Dennis Prager is co-founder of PragerU, which was described by BuzzFeed News as one of the biggest and most influential forces in online media. Dennis is a nationally syndicated radio talk show host and columnist in the United States, uh, based in Los Angeles, and author of 10 books or more. His most recent publication is a multi-volume commentary on the Torah called the Rational Passover Haggadah. Dennis was appointed by President Ronald Reagan to the US delegation to the Vienna Review Conference on the Helensky Accords and by President George W. Bush to the US Holocaust Memorial Council. He holds an honorary doctorate of law from Pepperdine University, a highly sought after public speaker and frequent cable news show guest. Dennis has lectured all over the world, including in Australia. His media career has spanned five decades. He is now known as one of America's most respected conservative thinkers and communicators. Dennis, it's very good of you indeed to give us some time and I appreciate it enormously. I'm delighted and honored. Thank you very much. By the way, I just want to make one correction because it's so important to me, this latest project of my life. It's the Rational Bible. The Passover Haggadah is another issue, but I am writing a five-volume commentary on the Bible, and it's meant for people of every faith and no faith. I only use reason. That's why it's called the Rational Bible. Reason is my vehicle to faith. Not everybody has that vehicle. We all have our own paths, but I just wanted to make that clear because no one writes a Bible commentary to get wealthy. So I have no compunction about noting it. And if I hope this interview will elicit interest people in, in reading that, the Rational Bible. Okay. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Queen Elizabeth II, revered I think around the world and extraordinarily so in Republican America, uh, seems uh, to have really, I think, uh, evoked enormous respect throughout her reign. Now she's passed. I think we've lost a noble figure, someone who was quite inspirational. She was regal. It fit her. You, it, it's tough to say from the distance, but to the extent that one could say one knew her, one at least for me, all she did was elicit respect, not just for herself, which was clear, but for the institution of the monarchy. I think she, she did something for, for, the, for the British in, in, in the regal bearing, the non-political nature of, of her pronouncements. It's a, it's a real loss and it's, I feel bad in saying this, and I, I mean it quite sincerely. It's bad because I don't have the same reverence for her son, who seems to have been affected like so many in my generation of baby boomers by stupidity from the universities and the media. And I mean stupidity, and I hate to use that word too, because he's not stupid in the sense of not having brain matter. But he's bought pretty much everything that was sold to us from the 70s at, at college and universities. 
including the existential threat of climate change. None, none of us deny climate change. We deny that it's an existential threat. Brits can't pay their, their bills to heat their homes or, uh, or cool them in the summer. And it's all because of this fanaticism, this new secular religion called environmentalism. Anyway, I'm going off the beaten track, forgive me, but it's a double loss. He ascends to the throne and we lost her. What do you think it was about her model of leadership that inspired people, i.e. what can we learn from the way that she did it, given that everywhere you go at the moment, people are saying, where's our Churchill, where's our Lincoln, where's our Truman, where's our Reagan? And well, we had her, she, she, she had a, a bearing that fit her position, as I said, a regal bearing. She, she didn't go for cheap thrills. There was a sense of dignity that I love about anybody. You could have dignity when you're 18. It's not a matter of age. So uh, if I may be personal, and it may be even wrong to be self-referential here, but I'll, I'll take that risk. I have received calls, because I do a radio talk show, 40 years talking not only to people, but with people. Very common since, I guess, I, even my 40s. Young men would call and say, I just want you to know you're a father figure to me. And I, I thought about that a lot. Why was I a father figure to so many young men and continue to be? I don't even know it again from their saying it to me. Part of it is that they didn't have a father to have as a father figure. Huge numbers in this Huge, country. exactly. But the other is, I, I am at peace with being a grown-up. She, she was at peace with being a grown-up. This is not a concept one speaks about often. My generation of baby boomers as we're called, the post-World War II ch children did not want to grow up. A, lo a lot of my generation, never trust anyone over 30 was the stupidity of the, of the age. And they didn't grow up when they became 60. Kids need grown-ups. It's, it's, a, it's a chaotic world for, for young people if grown-ups are not grown-ups. She's a, she was a grown-up, uh, uh, and it, it sounds little, but it's big. She, so uh, she, she carried this persona that meant a lot to people, including me. It often seems to me when I look at my own country, and I know you know a bit about Australia, we'll come to that in a moment, but... Uh, that the, the three great guiding political philosophies, which I suspect in many ways derived from, um, you know, our Christian sort of heritage in their own way. One was a sort of social democracy, left of centre, Christian Democrats, perhaps in a European tradition. Then classic liberals, not in the sense that you mean them here in America, but classic liberals, small government, personal responsibility and all the rest of it. And then conservatism. And the thing that was said about conservatism was that 
uh, or said now, all, all three categories are broken down. So the left seems to be about victimhood politics and, and making a new aristocracy out of people who have been identified by grievance studies as somebody you can weaponise. That's pretty tough, but it does seem that way to me often. Liberals, well, they're all into big government now. They don't seem to believe in limited government. And the Conservatives are left with nothing left to conserve. But the passing of the Queen seems to me, I don't, I'd hate to label her, but she represented that capacity to represent the best of the things that never change, that shouldn't be let go. What are your thoughts on... No, on that's the, perfectly said. I, I can't even add to it. That's exactly what she did. She, she carried on... I, I think uh, of her son as the embodiment of the 60s, 70s. I think of her as the embodiment of English history. I'm just stating what you did in my own words. So a great loss. Now, as I come to America, a country I admire hugely in so many ways, and I stop and I think that uh, we've lived in freedom really essentially in Australia because Winston Churchill stood in the gap when no one else did. And then the Americans, when they entered the war, saved us from, you mentioned you'd been to Darwin. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, every time you go there, you're conscious the Japanese you know, mm-hmm. attacked Australia because of the American intervention. But I come here now and I see a country so divided that I find it breathtaking. And you walk around and, you know, you catch a cab, you go to a restaurant, that American friendliness is still there. And yet the minute you probe, you find you're divided to the very bottom. The division is very real. What's happened and who's going to win? It's a very sad fact. I wrote many years ago, we're in a civil war. I prayed, I wrote in the article that it would remain nonviolent. I'm not certain it will remain nonviolent. I pray that it does. The left in this country has created this division completely. They're 100% responsible for the division. They deny it, of course. The self, self-awareness and leftism are, are ant, ant, antithetical to one another. They, they, they believe that you can they believe that you can say to Americans, your founders, our founders were awful human beings. Our constitution is worthless. New York Times just printed that. A Harvard law professor, Yale law professor, yeah. we should get rid of the US constitution. Not modify it, get rid of it. Many on the left believe that. They think it's worthless. They think the U.S. Senate is worthless. The Electoral College is worthless. They think America is founded in, in, in 1619, not in 1776. They teach our children from the youngest age that there is non-binary sexual identity. Kids know the word non-binary. No one ever heard the word five years ago. The speed with which the left distorts life and takes over it is, is, is phenomenal. They have created this, and then they wonder... Who created the divisions? Oh, Trump was divisive. The conservatives are divisive. How have, how have we changed? I'd like to know one value that we have, we have differently from 25 years ago. I can tell you theirs in every arena. Columbia University, where I attended, has an all-black dormitory. 
There are only two groups in America supporting all black dormitories, leftists and the Ku Klux Klan. Racism is now anti-racism. It's part of the Orwellian nature of the left. If you oppose an all-black dorm, which is what liberalism, as I was raised to be a liberal and was a Democrat till Jimmy Carter, uh, you believed in racial integration. Now racial segregation is a progressive value. And they say, we're, we're dividing, so you're 100% right. The division is, is deep. It is unbridgeable, by the way. As for the future, I never make predictions about the future. However, uh, I, I could say, and what I say always here in America, if good people don't fight, this country is lost. If this country is lost, liberty on earth is lost. We will enter the, an age that will be called the age of cruelty. Barbarians will take over the world. If America fails, it's, yeah. it's liberty. People often ask me uh, what I think about China and the threats to global peace and so forth. How might it settle? And I say, well, the answer is to be found over the pond. It's in America. Mm -hmm. There is no reason for the West to give up its supremacy. There is no reason in the sense that technologically, economically, in terms of being on the right side of history with uh, the structures for human flourishing and freedom, We've got it all if we only believed in it. And it seems to me that what happens here, I shouldn't comment, I suppose, in another country. Uh, you know, I don't want to sound rude, but it doesn't seem to me that the current president can possibly run again. Um, so it's very much a question of what the Republicans do, and the Trump factor seems to be enormous. Well, these are a lot of topics. So it's a question of how the Republicans, I would have thought, resolve the set of primaries for next time round as to who might lead America. Because, see, China's peaked. People are missing that. But the trouble is that we might, we're going down a slide as well. That's correct. It's like the, the US dollar is, is awful, but the, the euro and the pound are worse. <laughs> so it's really, it's, it, it's exactly what you're saying. Uh, China did peak, uh, at, but it's, it's sort of like a, some some uh, animals are toughest when they're yeah. when they're weakened. Yeah, they're, so, they're perhaps more dangerous than ever. That, yes, more dangerous than ever. So we've got to buy time. We certainly do. But well, that requires the, strong the, leadership but in every world. Well, strong leadership. The look, it's not complex. The left loathes the West. Liberals don't, but liberals vote left. Liberals are weak. Left is evil. The left wishes to destroy the Western world. If you say the West is best, you're called a racist. It, 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 years ago, I talked on my radio show about something I suspect well under 1% of my listeners had any knowledge of. I am a classical musician. I conduct orchestras as, as an avocation. I'll find something that you don't do soon, Dennis. Oh, uh, I don't play golf. <laughs> I, I, it's a ma major lacuna in my life. But thank you. In any event, I do a lot of things. I love life. So I follow classical music avidly. And the, uh, the, the, the New York Times chief classical critic, Anthony Tomasini, this is 20 years ago at least, uh, he said, it was fascinating, he wrote 
who are we, I'm paraphrasing, who are we to say Beethoven is best? Have you ever not, have you not heard Indonesian gamelan music? I have. No, this is his, his yeah, claim. Right, no, right. no, I'm not asking oh, right. you, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, that, by the way, that's impressive, although you are near Indonesia. So uh, I thought, wait a minute. The chief music critic of the New York Times does not think Beethoven is superior to gamelan music? But everybody outside of Indonesia does, and I'll bet a lot of Indonesians think Beethoven is superior. As I pointed out, this has nothing to do with Racial superiority. I love Jewish music. I'm I'm a committed Jew. I love Jewish music. But Beethoven, it's like you can't compare it. Beethoven is infinitely better than Jewish music. (laughs) It's absurd. Nobody would, if if a Jew ever said, well, you know, have you you ever heard Havana Gila? You know, I'm just using the most famous Hebrew song. And and, and, uh, that, that the man in charge of classical music at the New York Times doesn't believe that classical music is the finest music ever written. In Japan, they do. The greatest Bach recordings today are coming from the Japanese. The greatest musicians today are overwhelmingly from Asia, Korean and Chinese and Japanese. They're the ones winning the the, the Van Cliburn piano competition. Not Westerners, some Westerners, but overwhelmingly Asians. Why, why do they love Bach? Are we listening to, to, uh, to Japanese music? Not much. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying Jewish music is bad. But it, but it doesn't compare to Beethoven and Bach and, 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 and Schumann and Schubert and so on. They don't, they don't believe in the West. Shakespeare was taken down at the University of Pennsylvania. Do you know this? The English department, that's, a, that's an Ivy League school, the University of Pennsylvania. They took down Shakespeare's mural at the English department because he was a white European male. And they put up instead a non-white female lesbian poet from the Caribbean who nobody knows about. But you don't judge excellence now. You judge racial and sexual categories. So they have contempt for the West. And, and uh, the West is best. The, this has nothing to do with ethnicity. I'll just make one more point. Hitler was white and Stalin was white. You can't get more white than Stalin. Caucasian means from the Caucasus. He was Georgian. He was pure white. This is not a white issue. It's a values issue. The West is best because of Western values, not color. So where do those values come from? Because if... As is now often said, politics in a properly functioning democracy is downstream of culture. Well, culture and values are surely downstream of beliefs? Yes, totally. I see this completely, ultimately, as the collapse of Christianity in the West. Judeo-Christian values and Christianity as a religion, because it's the dominant religion. I say this as a Jew. I say this as not only a Jew and a committed Jew, but I say this as a Jew who wrote a book on anti-Semitism delineating Christian anti-Semitism uh, in, in, in Europe. I don't romanticize Christianity when I say its death is the death of the West. I am rooting for Christianity survival as much as you, the Christian, is or are. 
So what is it about Christianity that's critical to Western democracy? The Bible. And the Bible teaches... Jordan Peterson's got very interested in this. He's talking... I'm well aware I'm doing a seminar you, you earlier on, about... on Exodus. We're, we're, I'm, yeah. I'm with his group that's doing it for the Daily Wire. It's a, it's a terrific, terrific series. Now, here's an interesting aspect of it. You, you mentioned a moment ago that uh, people are looking to you as a father figure, and I'm sure they do. And by the way, I'll guarantee you that a lot of them have great relationships with their dad. It's not just the ones who haven't got their oh, dad. Oh, that's a fair point. You know, many yes. of them are just looking for the wisdom that, of the correct. ages. That's correct. That's a very good point. And I reckon they're the same young men that are flogging to hear, uh, uh, flocking to hear um, uh, Jordan Peterson. They, they recognise they've been, we'd say sold a pup in Australian news, um, given thin gruel. They're actually looking for steak. Yeah. They're looking for steak. And many of them, of course, know too that the world is now being... If they're looking for steak, they got the right man. It's all he eats. <laughs> yeah, well, Jordan <laughs> Yes. But the grievance studies, you know, you score the history books looking for everybody who can be put up as a victim. But every time you got a victim, you got a victim maker. And they all happen to be uh, young men, particularly white men, feeling that their masculinity is described as toxic. And they're saying, hey, wait a minute, there's more to it than that. It's very tough to uh, to be a young man or woman today. Yeah, the left has has made uh, has, has has killed everything beautiful. They've killed romance. Romance, yeah. The it, data it, tells you that sorry? you don't. Have, it's not just the data. data. The data yeah, tells right? you, or data, no, no, depending no, no, whether you're no. English or Australian or American. What do you say, data or data? Data, properly. Yeah. I'm happy with data. I have to say that because my wife might be listening. Of course. <laughs> Look, I'll, I'll get, you should do this in Australia. So whenever I meet a woman under 30, so typically on an airplane, waiting in line somewhere, it's always strangers. I, I, I have no problem asking personal questions of, of strangers. And, and I don't assume they know me. Sometimes they do, often they don't. Uh, it has nothing to do with me. It's just I'm, I'm asking the question, a waitress. So can I ask you a personal question? They always say yes. In Germany, they wouldn't. But in America or Australia, probably they would as well. So I say, I'm just curious. Are you married? No. How old are you? 25. Okay, I got a question. I'm offering you two guarantees. You can choose one. And I want to make clear, if you choose one, it doesn't mean you can never have the other. It just means it's not guaranteed. Can I be clearer? No. Here are the two guarantees. Choose one. A guarantee of a great career or a guarantee of a great marriage. And 50%, it's 50-50. Then there's no way to predict. Uh, some tattooed mm -hmm. girl will say great marriage and some clean-cut girl will say career. There, there's, no, there's no way to predict, and I can't predict. But it is, I asked this of a Christian girl. I, I very rarely, I had to attend a party. I don't like parties. I, I like dinners with people to talk serious stuff, but I'm not a big party fan. It doesn't matter. I was at one, 30-year-old, very attractive young woman and who uh, knew who I was. We started talking, and I asked her, again, her age, are you married? Mentioned she was Christian. And I asked her this question, and she said, great career. That shocked me. Yeah. Yeah. This is extraordinary, isn't it? Because at heart, we're wired to That's be right. in relationships. That's true, especially women. 
at, at heart, men are wired for variety. Mm. They're not the same men and women. So if women are not going to mm. insist on marriage, men will go, fine with me. Mm. I'll just be the animal I am. Now, uh, you and I both uh, rate Os Guinness very, very highly. Very as a friend, highly. as a thinker, as correct. a writer, Major. he ought to be much better known. That's correct. Let me test, uh, if I can summarise it briefly, his theory on how we got to where we are. Firstly, since the Second World War, and particularly since the fall of the Berlin Wall, it seemed like democracy was safe. We'd won out over tyranny. Life was comfortable. It looked like it would go on forever. Every time I come to this country, I'm reminded of prosperity and what it looks like. You know, and everything from magnificent buildings to whatever, you know, the way people live and what have you. We do pretty well in Australia, but this country is extraordinary. Mm -hmm. So you've got a sort of a satiation factor there. You know, people are full bellies. It looks like it's going to go on forever. At the same time, you've had real influence down through academia, the march through the left, uh, Gramsci, the Frankfurt School. Um, why are the people not rising up and bringing about the communist nirvana? It must be the strength of the institutions. So you get cultural Marxism, a deliberate attempt to attack not just the people in the institutions of freedom, because that's what we do. It's very personal, you know, whether it's judges, whether it's politicians, whether it's whatever, we're very nasty about them. It's the institutions themselves. And while you're at it, the underpinning ideas. So while we're all feeling like, you know, we're going to be well-fed pigs for the rest of our lives, completely content. I don't mean pigs in a nasty sense. You know what I mean? It's sort of happy state. Our children are being subjected and have been for a long time to this deliberate indoctrination designed to topple the institutions that undergird our freedom. So I'll comment and then ask me if, if I missed something or mention it. I have, a, I have a set of equations about life. Uh, so for example, I have an equation in my happiness book. Unhappiness equals U equals I minus R. Unhappiness equals image minus reality. The difference between the image you have for your life and the reality of your life is how much unhappiness you have. I have a lot of equations. Here's another one. Let's see. Uh, affluence plus secularism equals boredom and leads to leftism. It's a toxic combination, affluence and secularism. People are bored. Boredom is unrecognized at what a powerful force it is for evil in the world. What was it, the old saying? Uh, the devil finds yes. worse idle hands? Yes, that's right. That's right. And that is entirely accurate. The entire alarmist, eccentric environmentalist movement, the world is coming to an end every 12 years, is rich, white, secular people. This is their boredom killer. It, what is more exciting than saving the world? I don't think I'm saving the world. I must admit, I'm trying to have a good influence, but saving the world from biological extinction, you can't get better than that. These people are crackpots and they're destroying much of the world. Look at, look at your, 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 your energy poverty in Germany and in England. 
I just received here in California a notice on my phone. Curb your use of electricity, otherwise you will not have any electricity. In one of the richest places on earth, California, USA, in, in, the, in, in the, the, the first quarter of the 21st century, there's not enough power to power air conditioning? It's all because of the environmentalist movement, 100%. Someone said in Britain the other day, what did they have before candles? And the answer was electricity. Yes, that's a good um, one. That is a... <laughs> um, now, let's tease this out a little bit. You, you said that, you know, modern secularists are bored and all the rest of it. This is a very interesting thing. Victor Davis Hanson talks about it. The astonishing wealth. We're here in California. Mm-hmm. You know, think Silicon Valley, think the Czech giants. Think right. fewer and fewer people with vast amounts of money at a time when living standards for the middle and lower classes are right. collapsing. Mm-hmm. Um, once business leaders were ballast in many ways, they were socially conservative, they were fiscally conservative. If they lent on government, sometimes they were pretty cutthroat and sometimes they were self-interested. But it, they, they had no object, no sort of desire to turn an entire society on its head. But it seems to me that a lot of these, uh, you know, sort of uh, t-shirted, long-haired, thonged squillionaires now telling governments what to do. Is it really so secular? It's almost religious, isn't it? We've got to say... Oh, no, it is secular, but these are secular religions. Right. Yeah, I'm contrasting secularism with, with Bible-based yeah. faith. That's and, why you and I, you're, you're Christian, I'm Jewish. I suspect we share more values than than you do with many Christians and I do with many Jews. Just, it's worth teasing out just a tiny bit, isn't it? Because there's a couple of features about them that are really odious to my way of thinking, um, apart from their objectives. One is the way in which um, they are so merciless. If you dare to disagree, you're cancelled. You're a bad person. I have a theory on that. And the other is the way in which, um, uh, you know, the gods must be satiated. The problem is the great unwashed. There's too many of them. Well, they're telling them not to have children. See, there's, so there's seven and a half billion people in the world and right, you've got people saying, well, we can many. only support one and a half billion. Yes, right. But people, there's less poverty than ever before and there are more people than ever before. But I, I do have a theory on uh, your, your first point on suppressing speech. So uh, by incredible fluke, I cannot explain it, and I thank God for it. My field of study was communism. There were, in all of Columbia University, tens of thousands of students, I believe, with the graduate schools and the undergraduate. There were seven of us, to the best of my recollection, who majored in communist affairs. We met at a table like this with our professor. By the way, it was Bignard Brzezinski, the, the the national security, later the national security yeah. advisor to Carter. Anyway, th- this is one of the many things I learned studying the left all of my life. There is no example of the left being in power, not one, since Lenin in 1917, where they allowed dissent. Yeah. There is not one example. It is built into the left to forcibly shut down opposition. You must be loyal to the party. That's right. It's a total leftism is totalitarian in its nature. Non-totalitarian leftism is liberalism. There is no connection between liberal values and left-wing values. But liberals vote left because they've been brainwashed to believe that the 
danger to liberalism comes from the right, not the left. So I come to America looking to the free world as an Australian, <clears throat> hoping that they can stabilize their differences, find a way forward, only to run into your president, and this is where it gets a bit tricky, I should be respectful of my host country while I'm here, but he is the leader of the free world as well, your president essentially falling into line with those leftish entirely, values. Entirely. He gives a speech yes. in which he ruthlessly attacks right. a huge slab of his fellow Americans. And I, I, I've been a practitioner of the art. I mean, I suspect that what he was saying was pole driven. It was designed to inflame anger uh, amongst his supporters that they'll go out and they'll vote because voting's not compulsory and you've got to get your base out. I wonder, because it was surprisingly fluent, whether there weren't a series of teleprompter screens there as he went through that speech Probably, with a yeah, very sure, sure unusual was. setting. But what this made me was that the Commander-in-Chief of the, you know, not just America but the free world mm -hmm. would not reach out and say, I might disagree with you about how you want to make America great, but surely we both agree we want it to be a great uh, I country. I would like Biden's supporter to show me one speech that Donald Trump gave that was nearly as divisive nearly dismissing half of America in the terms that he did against liberty, against the constitution, against equality, against everything noble. MAGA Republicans, I don't even know what that means, but I guess I'm one. Make America great again Republican. I guess any Republican who voted for Donald Trump is a MAGA Republican. I think that's 71 million people. There has never been a speech like this in American history. It was the opposite of Lincoln. After hundreds of thousands of Union soldiers were killed, he says, with malice towards none and yeah. charity for all in, in his inaugural address. So uh, this, this, is with, with, this is the opposite. It's with malice towards my opponent and charity for my allies. I found it an immensely distressing speech He's an indecent man, but it doesn't matter. He's a leftist. Leftism makes you indecent. It does. But here's, here's the rub. Picking up on something that Victor Davis Hanson's focused on a couple of times, you know, you've got your brains and you've got your muscle. Um, by that he means, you think COVID and the way the elites, you know, wanted to shut everything down, retreat, you know, have governments basically support them while they shut the economy down, what have you. The muscle part of the community couldn't do it. Whether it's the farmers, whether it's the people taking the product to market, uh, valuating it, distributing it, and then bringing it to your house while you're in lockdown. Whether it's the people who nurse you when you're sick or police you when you're in danger or what have you. What is the idea, what is the thinking behind calling them deplorables and irredeemables? That's not the language well, that Biden used, but that is the well, language. It's that... ultimately to suppress them. If I can get half this country that votes Democrat to hate these people even more and to regard them as evil, then we can shut them down even more effectively. But people say to me, it's the country's more divided than it's been since the time before the Civil War. Isn't that incredibly dangerous, apart from yes. incredibly said, unreasonable I, I, and unwise? I, if I were a betting man and the bet were, will this turn violent, I, I, I wouldn't bet in either direction.
we're, it's not a liberal conservative divide. It's a left-wing divide from everybody else. But I keep repeating, liberals vote for the opposite of their values. We conservatives believe in integrated, racially integrated dormitories. The left believes in racially segregated dormitories and liberals continue to vote for them because they're weak. They're non-confrontational. It's like the artist who had, I don't know if you're familiar with this, Piss Christ. Yeah. The crucifix in his urine. How come he did that? And not fearing that any one of 200 million or 150 million Christians in America, not one would hurt him. Now that, think about that. Yeah. Would he put a, a picture of Muhammad in urine? Would he put a Quran in urine? Uh, ask Salman Rushdie. That's correct. Who didn't do it in urine. He just wrote a novel, The Satanic Verses, which I don't, I don't even know why they picked on it, but it doesn't matter. The liberal confronts people who won't hurt them. Yeah. It's, there's a deep, deep weakness in the liberal. Frank Perotti, who I've had on my conversations a couple of times, says that the old divisions of left and right perhaps are a little less relevant. Now we need to stop and think. It's almost become those who operate on the level of emotion and feelings, mm -hmm. left brain thinking, if you like, versus those who still think following the data, learning the lessons of history, reason, thinking matter. So that's the greater divide? Any thoughts? It's a big part of it. But the irony is that's what they say. We're science and data-driven. Conservatives are not. That's what they, that's I, what I said. There's no self-awareness on the left. That's pure emotion. There's no such thing as male or female. That's emotion or science. As I asked them, I'm just curious. Are there any non-binary dogs, non-binary cats, not binary cattle, non-binary sheep? How could there be nine? We're, we're, in their view, certainly we're an animal. This is the only animal, you and I, are the only animals that have no sex. That it's subjective. They're, right. So, and, and they say that they're science-driven. They were science-driven on masks. They were science-driven on lockdowns. Science-driven on the vaccine, which they now admit does not prevent COVID. They lied to us for well over a year. Now it's, it, well, we, it doesn't prevent COVID. It, it minimizes its consequences. That's, that's not a vaccine. And you have to keep taking boosters every time. And are we being given the science on the ill effects of the vaccine, especially on young people? I know a man... I knew, I knew a man, healthy as, as, as the day is long. I am, I am certain he died because of the COVID vaccine. Now, it may be an exception, but I think we need to know the truth about it. We've been lied to. The only truth tellers were in Sweden. It's fascinating. I who would have ever thought Sweden is my salvation? Sweden had no lockdown. No school was closed for one day for children under 16. No child died, no teacher died. And, and in my country, we deprived kids of school for two years. The only compensation is they didn't get indoctrinated for two years. You're driving uh, along a major highway in America a couple of days ago. 
an electronic billboard, a very, 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 very big one came up. It, uh, it simply read, uh, biology is bigotry. No kidding, you saw that? Yeah, no that's one, a new one. No one is born a woman. Right, or a man, obviously. Yeah, that's fascinating. You saw that? Oh, I saw it. Did you yeah. get a picture of it? I wish I had, we were speeding oh, by so quickly. Bio- biology is bigotry. Yeah. That's perfect. And we're the anti-science people, yeah. not the people who put the billboard up. Yeah, amazing, isn't it? Okay, so let's let's come back then. You mentioned you'd been to Australia and you had some observations about yes. it. Yes. So I've been there quite a number of times. I've, I've lectured there a lot. So this is not the observation I had in mind, but I do want to share this. So I've, I have a th- Australia embodies something that I speak about on my radio show a lot. If you visit Minnesota, and I've been to all 50 states, so in Minnesota, there's a saying that Minnesota nice. People in Minnesota are known for being nice, and they are. So how do they elect awful, awful people? Uh, The defund the police type leftist, the America-hating representative, like Ilan Omar, this this is from Minnesota. How do nice people elect bad people? So I love everybody, everybody, I'm just telling you, this is not to butter you up. Is that an Australian saying? Yeah, yeah, we use that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like being buttered up, by the way. Oh, that's very sweet. That's, that's, (laughs) I love your honesty. Uh, Australians are very friendly. Uh, I mean, uh, you cannot not enjoy going to Australia. So you're you are Minnesota nice in Australia. Nice people electing totalitarians, basically authoritarians at the least. But that's not my obs- the observation I wanted to share with you is seeing the movement to authoritarianism in Australia, which is what all movements left would are by definition. And then the, the lockdowns that you had in your country, like in Melbourne, were, were evil, just evil. The cruelty, cruelty and leftism go together. And, and what they've done to medicine is its own subject. People were not allowed to have a loved one visit them as they were dying. You had to die alone because of COVID. That was this, the, the acts of cruelty that took place in the name of health. I've said for now 25 years, I have a motto on my show, health uber alles. It's taken from the, the German fascist song, Deutschland uber alles, Germany above all. It is now health uber alles, or gesund, if you wish, German. Health above all. In the name of health, you can do anything. Anything. You could lie. You could suppress. You can be cruel. You can distort. You can get rid of doctors who dissent in the name of health. Let's dig into this a bit. How did we get to this point? Would you buy the thesis that perhaps in an age when... We live for the here and now. We've done away with the idea of you know, life uh, going beyond the grave. This is it. So we've got to make the most of it. That in that environment, 
we actually become so protective of our well-being now that we will sacrifice freedom mm. in pursuit of safety and security? Absolutely. And I would go further. Big, big, big uh, be belief of mine. Humans do not yearn to be free. This is a, this is a myth. It's a romantic, silly myth about the human race. Perhaps that's why the French revolutionists had to say, that, you will be free. Well, well, uh, the French Revolution is a perfect example. I'll get that to that in a moment. People yearn to be taken care of. Yeah. That's the reason the left always wins around the world. The United States was the single large exception because we put liberty above take, being taken care of. Take care of yourself. Take care of your family. Take care of your community. That was the American way, and it worked. Government downstream, that, it will be kept downstream. Yes, that's correct. Of, the founders of this country mistrusted government mm. because they mistrusted human nature. The more power you give to people, the more corruption you have, and ultimately evil. They were 100% right. 100 million people were murdered, and no student ever hears this. This is amazing, isn't it? A hundred million people were murdered. Yeah. I'm not talking about combat deaths yeah. in war. Yeah. Murdered hmm. by whom? Their own. Secular government. Their own government. Their, their own government, correct. Very important. But secular and big government. They love government and they love secular. The greatest sources of evil in human history they adore. Secular and government. And, and at first instance, you might say, you've just answered the question, of course, if people just want to be safe and secure, well, why shouldn't they go for that over freedom? But the answer is that they're not safe and secure in the end. Exactly. Once, that's the point, isn't it? Right. We pay, in America, we produce the best medical system, yeah. not for every single human being, but the best medical system because it was so free. It's much less free today. Doctors now are employees. They used to employ themselves. The deterioration will be felt within a generation. They're choosing doctors based on their woke attitudes at medical school after medical school. I report on this regularly on my radio show. So the, it, it, it's, it's very depressing to see what's happened to the medical profession. There is a law just passed in California where you're sitting which is yet to be signed by the governor. It'll be interesting to see if he does because he wants to run for president. Any doctor accused of misinformation will lose his medical license in the state of California. So if a doctor says, I actually have a therapeutic that has helped hundreds of my patients not die from COVID called hydroxychloroquine, if the doctor says that, he could lose his license. My doctor believes in hydroxychloroquine. I took that in ivermectin for a year and a half, got COVID twice. Z zilch meant nothing. The elites have the upper hand at the moment in terms of uh, you know, winning the policy debates and implementing them, it seems, from uh, you know, a progressive perspective. Can it be turned around? And what is the role, in your view, of social media? Because you're very active in it. If they didn't suppress us, they didn't get rid of professors who dissent, if they didn't use YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and the others to suppress dissent as much as they do, and they may do it more, 
we don't know, we would prevail. I always wonder, why do they so not want conservatives like me to speak at the universities? They have them for four years to indoctrinate them in leftism. What do they care about 90 minutes from a conservative? But I know the answer. They know and I know. I can undo four years of their education in leftism in an hour and a half. We undo it in five minutes with PragerU videos. Most of our viewers are under 35 years of age. That's is- why they're so annoyed with us. The moment you hear, like what I said earlier, when a college student hears all the terror, all the evil, all the torture, all the murder, virtually all of it, in the most murderous, torturous century in human history, the 20th, was caused by secular governments, that's pretty shattering. Because yeah. they've been taught, oh, all, all the evil in the world has been done by people in the name of God and religion. Actually not. It's been done by secular people. You like big government? Without big government, you can't have genocide. The only genocidal experience in the last hundred years not done by big government was in Rwanda. The, the Tutsis against the Hutus against the Tutsis. Other than that, it's all big government. Mm. Um, so you've painted the picture of the grave danger of secular authoritarian regimes and the horrors of the 20th century should have taught every one of us. This should have been absolutely saturating our children's textbooks. Mm-hmm. Don't go there. Yep. But the alternative seems to be very unattractive in our modern culture. No one wants to listen. They say we can be a good moral people without religion. You're effectively arguing very powerfully without religion, um, the alternative is ugly secularism. Uh, it, but it can't be just any religion. There's no, plenty it, of religions it, it, yes, around. It, it they produce to, very different it has results. To be, it has to be Bible-based. It has to be at, at minimal Ten Commandments based. The religion has to say God gave the Ten Commandments. If it doesn't, but they say, sound so restrictive and so against freedom. Ten Commandments. Well, well, that'd be the argument. Well, all, all, well, the, the people who say that are the ones who pass more laws than were ever passed in the history of religion. So they they're in a very bad position to complain about laws. As I say, if you want to defund the police, there's a very simple solution: just have everyone obey the Ten Commandments. You would need no police then. That's the solution to to the surfeit of policemen if you have that. But no, it has to be uh, one of those religions, and they are specifically Catholicism, Protestantism, Judaism, Mormonism, or LDS, as the Mormons like to call themselves, Latter-day Saints. But the the, there's I I don't care, by the way, which one you you actually choose. It it has to be rooted in in the Bible has to be rooted ultimately in the Torah, the first five books, which Christianity and Judaism are rooted in. Uh, That's why my commentary is on the first five books. Everything is there. Love your neighbor, the Ten Commandments, the creation, Garden of Eden. The first five books are the most important books of the Bible. Without them, there's no no Christianity, there's no Judaism. Even though, obviously, I revere the rest of the Bible, the prophets and and, and the writings and so on. But that's... That's where it all comes from, and it, uh, you are taught today in American and probably Australian schools basically to either ignore or mock people who take that stuff seriously. Yeah, that's right. The, the mockery is severe. Very, very. Um, 
But in your remarks, you really referred to um, two things that I think are very important. Uh, it's not, some people would say, well, the Bible's so tough and unreasonable. That would be to say that it takes a low view of humanity. You've got to obey all these laws because you're bad. But you've alluded to loving your neighbour, which is a high view of humanity. It holds in suspense. Oh, no, it's a low view of humanity. If you have a high view of humanity, you are, you are not a serious Jew or Christian. I have contempt for people who think that people are basically good because they have willfully decided to be stupid. And I, I don't have no tolerance for that. I just debated an Orthodox rabbi, uh, and it's on YouTube. Your, your people could watch it. Dennis Prager debate on people, you know, human nature, people basically good. And the reason I debated him was it was depressed me that an Orthodox rabbi would say people are basically good. There's no basis of that in Judaism. And for an Orthodox rabbi to say it was particularly disturbing. But there were, there are no doubt that there would be Catholic priests or, or Protestant ministers who might say that as well. It's not only not biblical, uh, but there's something wrong with you. you your ignorance of, you, of history has to be so great. You, you, you cannot know history and say people are basically good. I'm not even saying people are basically evil but they're certainly not basically good. Uh, why would there be so many laws, as you point out, if people are basically good, why would there be, why would there even be a law, love your neighbor as yourself? If you're basically good, you don't need that law. So who, we've got to hold him. Who committed all this evil in history? Yeah. Monsters? Extraterrestrials? No, ordinary human beings. Yes. That's the Goodness is the, is the outlier, yeah. not evil. That was the, the great story about the survivor who came face to face with his torturer from the Gestapo. I've forgotten his name now, Erkman. Uh, Eichmann. Eichmann. Yeah. Uh, and, and he said he burst into tears when he saw the man who tortured him in the, in, the, in the Holocaust because he was looking into the eyes of a person he realised was another ordinary human being. Well, that was a Hannah Arendt's claim, the banality of evil. Yeah. That, that's what she described, and it was specifically about Eichmann. Yeah. Let's finish on the positive. You celebrate life. You love life. You think it's worth fighting for freedom. Right. And you're doing everything you can on I every am, front. That's right. Every, look, uh, I'm lucky I'm in so many ways. I, I, I pinch myself. I don't know. You know, people who suffer a lot, they go, why me? I, I have such a great life. I go, why me? Why am I so lucky? Yeah. Why, did, why did I get cancer 20 years ago? Why didn't I lose a child? I, I mean, it's endless. So uh, I wrote, this is another reason I'm lucky. I knew what I wanted to do in high school. I wrote it. I still have the diary. I want to influence people to the good. That's the purpose of my life. That's what I wrote in, in junior, third year in high school. And I, I, I didn't know how. I don't know. What am I going to do? You know, I had no idea what I'd do for a living. I knew what I wanted to do for a life, but I didn't know how I could make a living out of it. And, and God or luck just enabled me uh, to have audiences from a very early age. And that's why there's PragerU with its billion views a year, mostly young wow. people. I wish we had 10 billion views a year I, because it's a race against totalitarianism. I. I, I give you my word, I never sit back and think, gee, how much good good we have done. I think of how much there is to do. 
But I do want to tell you about an oath that I took at, uh, at Normandy Beach. This was life-changing. About 25 years ago, let's see, it would be 25, yeah, I think, yeah, 20, 25 years, maybe 30 even. I was with my family. They were little, obviously. The kids were very little. So it was be 25 years ago. I'm sorry, not that anybody gives a damn, but I'd like to be accurate. So I was there and I saw all these graves of, of American soldiers, for, um, very possibly Australian and Canadian. And it just rose as far as the eye could see. Hmm. And, and the average age was 20 years old. Yeah. And I, this is what I said to myself, and I, I, I don't take oaths often. And I said, okay, if they could die for America and liberty, because America is about liberty, it's not just America. If they could die for America and liberty, the least I could do was live for America and liberty. And so that was a, a, a reaffirmation of what I wrote in high school. And that's what I devote my life to. Let me tell you something I'm very conscious of as an Australian. And I love my country and my father was a serviceman, nearly lost his life in the battle against the Germans in the North African desert. Rommel, the famous German commander, mm -hmm. referred to those Australian soldiers as uh, the absolute cream of the British Empire, the finest men they'd produced. So I'm a very proud Australian. But I'm also deeply conscious that it was American muscle that secured my part of the world for freedom and prosperity and that has maintained it ever since. Mm -hmm. There are other people now who are intent upon destroying architecture that gives us freedom, the opportunity to lift people out of poverty, give them opportunity all over Asia. And that's just Asia I'm talking about here. You can talk about the rest of the world. The key to maintaining that is a coherent America that believes in its values. And my plea would be to anyone listening, um, this really matters if we care about human flourishing. Amen. You've been really generous with your time. I've enjoyed it hugely. Me too. You've been listening to Conversations with John Anderson. For more content, visit johnanderson.net.au.